Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you. And Lord, we, we come before you now uh, seeking to become more like you. So as we open up your word and as we study the things that you have taught us today, form us more into your likeness, we pray. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so last week, if you were here, it was such a beautiful Sunday. Uh, we had, it was baptism Sunday here at Restoration, and we had three baptisms. It was so fun. The, the sun was out. It was just a gorgeous, beautiful day. And the Bible story that we looked at uh, on that day was when Jesus invites forward the little children and he blesses them. Now, even though it's a story about children, it also reminds us of the abundant grace of God, that he pours out his abundant love and his forgiveness to those who literally have done nothing, right? They're little children, they're babies, and yet God pours out his grace upon them. Well, Christian, or, um, because of nothings that they have, uh, nothing that they've done uh, to earn it. We call this grace, the unearned love of God, grace. Well, last week we talked about those who know that they don't deserve God's grace. And this week we're going to look at something similar. We're going to look at those who think that they deserve God's grace. Now, not long after the story of Jesus inviting uh, the children forward is another story where Peter one of the disciples, you could say one of, uh, of Jesus' closest disciples, he comes to Jesus and he says something a little, a little embarrassing, uh, something that, that you would have wished that he rather not have said. He opens his mouth and he pulls Jesus aside and Peter, this, beloved, or this, this disciple, says to Jesus, Jesus, I want to tell you something. I have sacrificed a lot for you. In fact, I just want to remind you, Jesus, that I have left everything to follow you. And so, Jesus, my question is, what exactly am I going to get out of this? Now, that's, that's quite an audacious thing to say to Jesus, uh, to anybody. I've left everything. What am I going to get out of this? That's what he says. You know, the problem is that Peter thinks that his actions, that is, the good things that he has done, is somehow going to earn him more of God's love. He's treating God as if God is some kind of if this, then that statement. If I give everything up for Jesus, then I'm going to get some pretty sweet prizes. You know, I'm going to make out good in this. And that brings us to the parable that we just read from Matthew's gospel. Because this parable that we just read, the parable of the vineyard, this is Jesus's kind but firm response to uh, Peter. And what, what Jesus is trying to do here through this parable, and I believe to all of us as well, is Jesus is trying to enchant Peter with the mysterious power of God's grace. So I want to walk us through this in three movements. I want to walk us through this, this parable in three movements. And each one of these movements, I want us to look and see a new depth sort of a, a, a new way of admiring the beauty of God's rich and powerful grace. So the first movement, I'm calling this the vineyard. Now this parable is pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. We have the master of the vineyard uh, who represents God, as you might have guessed. And then also you have the laborers themselves. These represent the people of God. And then you have the vineyard. Ah, the beautiful, beautiful vineyard. The vineyard represents the place 
where God is at work. Now, we could spend all morning long talking about all the, the beautiful, vibrant complexities of vineyard life, which I hope someday we can do that. We can talk more about that. But I, I just think that it's fascinating that Jesus even chose to tell this parable in the setting of a vineyard. Like Jesus could have said something like, the kingdom of God is like a, a shoe shop. Or the kingdom of God is like a blacksmith shop or, or a rock quarry. Like there's nothing necessarily intrinsic to the storyline of this parable itself that necessitates it being a vineyard. But that is in fact the setting that Jesus chose to do. So he didn't choose something that's cold and mechanical. No, he chose to describe the work of God as happening in a vineyard. Like Eden itself, a vineyard is a garden. And there's a dance that's happening in every single garden between chaos and order. In a vineyard, you see, you, well, you see a, a good vineyard is actually never truly tamed. There's always an ever-growing chaotic beauty to it, right? But there's also order to it because there's humans there who are, who are directing the growth, who are pruning it and seeking uh, to make as much growth as they possibly can come from the vineyard. And the vineyard is a place of fruit, and not just any kind of fruit, but grapes intended for wine itself. You see, the vineyard is supposed to be this, this place of joy, this place of celebration, this place of godly, infused leisure. The kingdom of God is like the master of a vineyard. And I just, I want to be a part of that. Like, I want to go and, and, and be a part of a vineyard like that. So what exactly does that translate to for you and for me? Well, the vineyard is a place of joy and of celebration for all. It's a place where we foster beautiful, godly living. The Bible has a word for this. They call it righteousness. And Jesus talks about righteousness quite a bit. Even we, we don't have to leave the Gospel of Matthew to learn and see what righteousness is. He talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, where righteous living, that beautiful place, that vineyard living, is a place where those who weep are comforted. It's a place where there's advocating that happens on behalf of the fatherless. It's a place where shelter is provided for the homeless. In other words, vineyard living is supposed to be a place where, where outposts of hope is happening in a very hopeless and dire world. You see, we're not just picking weeds in the hot, scorching sun, although there's, there's aspects of it that sometimes feel like that sometimes. No, this is a part, we are a part of God's kingdom. This is vineyard work. But also, the vineyard is about inviting others into it, Right? It's telling a lost and dying world that the master has a place for you. In fact, the master is willing to pay a high cost in order to bring you in and, and, and include you in this work. Later in Matthew, at the end of this gospel, Jesus says to his apostles, to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples. In other words, what Jesus is saying, tell more people about me. Get them involved in this vineyard living. Not in a burdensome, sort of guilt-induced kind of way. No, but as an invitation to join the harvest. To join the harvest. This is vineyard work. And that's the first grace that I want to introduce to us today. That God, in his abundant love and mercy, actually invites us to partner with him. To get side by side with him as we explore and... and, and um, just enjoy the beauty of, vine of the vineyard itself. But like vineyard living, I, I think the danger of some churches is to say that vineyard living is just like, 
setting up chairs at church or, or, or doing like church work or maybe getting a paycheck from a church. And that's not the case. Like all of you, whatever your vocation is, whatever your area of life is, it, like God has placed you there and that is an element of vineyard living. And so I think of the Apple store, for example, you know, selling iPods and iPhones and computers and fixing those things. And some of you already might be like, I hate the Apple store, uh, you know, pick a different analogy. But like truly in that kind of setting, what you're doing is you're, you're repairing the tools of other people, tools that they use to enhance their lives, to, to fix problems around them. And like that is bringing order to a chaotic world in some sense. So there's an element of, of, of being a steward in that space, of vineyard living, even in that space. So I invite all of you, you know, to think about your vocation, about your, uh, what you, how you spend your life, you know, the other six days of the week. Like, what are ways in which God is calling you to expand his vineyard in that actual setting itself? There is a lot of work to be done, and he wants to include as many workers as he possibly can in this. So we've got the 8 a.m. crew, you know, we'll call these guys the first. Uh, these are the ones who, they, they straight up agree to be paid for a denarius, and a denarius is a great uh, amount of pay. In fact, it's a fair amount of pay that you would expect in Jesus' day. A denarius is equivalent to a, a full day's worth of work. So uh, whatever that is for you, like that's a denarius plus a little bit more. You would hope to be paid a denarius for a day's worth of work. But there's still much more work to be done. So the master goes out back into the mar marketplace. He hires more laborers. And each time he uses this cryptic phrase with the laborers. He says, come, come work for me. I've got plenty of work to do, but I'll pay you whatever's fair. Now, I hear that. Maybe I'm, I'm a bit of a, a skeptic or a cynic or something. And I'm like, what do you think is fair? You know, like I'd want to push back a little bit in that. And for whatever reason, these laborers, they don't do that. They trust the master. They, they know that he's... He's worth his, his word, and so they go and they agree to this. But then at the end of the day, uh, in the 11th hour, which according to our clock, that'd be like 5 o'clock or so, like pretty close to the end of the day, there's still more work to be done. And the master wants to make sure that it, in fact, gets taken care of. So he goes one more time into the marketplace. But this conversation goes a little bit differently. He, he encounters these folks. We'll call them the lasts. And he says, and the master is a little bit puzzled that these folks are actually still here in the marketplace. And the master says to them, he's like, what are you doing here? Like, why have you been standing around all day long here? And their answer is a, a little sad. You know, they're like, well, nobody's picked us. We've been here. We've, we've been available, but people have skipped over us. They've seen us, and for whatever reason, they've decided not to choose us. So we've been idle all day. We haven't had any work to do. Well, the master, uh, he, he's a little disappointed by that. And we don't actually know, again, what the reason is. We don't know if it's because they're from a different ethnic group. We don't know if it's because maybe they walk with a limp or something. Maybe they're not from the right side of town. I don't know what the reason is. But the master says, come on in. Like, I, I will put you to work. There is a lot to do. So he gives to these lasts work. Well, that brings us to the second grace uh, for us in this parable. You see, our God, he is a God who lifts up the lass. He loves to give hope and dignity and purpose to those who the world skips over, to those who the world doesn't want on their team. Our God goes and he finds them and he says, I've got purpose for you. He gives them hope and honor and dignity. Not because of anything that they've done. Let's be straight about that. No, they do that because he is a good, good Lord. That's the second grace. 
that God is a God who lifts up the lass. All right, the third movement, the paycheck, right? We're Americans. We love talking about paychecks. So that's, that's, the, third, uh, that's the third part here. So finally, the sun goes down, and it's time for the master to pay his people. And so he lines them up, and he does it in a weird way, though. He puts the, the last ones first all the way up to the, to the ones at the end of the line who were hired at 8 a.m. And so he lines them up, and he gives the last, the folks who were hired at, like, 5 o'clock, he gives them, actually, a full denarius. So whatever that amount is that you get paid for a day's amount of work, that's what these guys get just for being there for, like, an hour or so. Well, as soon as the folks, the first, as soon as they see what's happening here, their eyes get huge. They're like, oh, did you see that? The master just gave them a whole stinking denarius. Can you imagine what we're going to get out of this? Can you imagine? Like, we've been here all day long. Like, certainly we're going to get a big old bucket of cash when we leave here today. But as the master works down the line, as, you, as we read, each person still gets a denarius. Well, by the point, by the moment in which the master gets to the first, you can see they can't handle it anymore. They break down. They freak out a little bit, don't they? They're like, are you kidding me? Like, you gave them a denarius. You gave the last a whole stinking denarius. You are putting us on the same level as them. We worked our, we, I almost said something else. We worked hard (laughs) in the burning heat all day long. And can't you, in that statement, can't you hear echoes of what Peter said earlier? I've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What's my prize? What do I get out of this? Well, this brings us to the third grace that Jesus has for us in this parable. He says that God's grace, the grace of the master, is so abundantly powerful. That God's grace is so abundantly powerful. And and, and the master says, friend, am I not allowed to do as I choose with what I own? Are you really going to judge my generosity, the master says to these people? It kind of reminds me of some other parts of the Bible. You know, where, where Job, that man who is undergoing so much suffering over his life, and Job actually has the audacity to, to push back on God. And what does God say back to Job? He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Whew, like that's, that's kind of a humbling statement. You know, that's, that's a quick way for God to put you in your spot, right? Or it reminds me of when uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks on behalf of God. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My plans are not your plans. My ways are not your ways. In other words, the grace of God, the love of God is mysterious and untamed. God will do with his love and his favor what he chooses to do with it. And we, as lowly servants, we don't need to hear God's rationale for it. Like, we don't, get to, we don't get to hear, we don't need to hear God's rationale for it. What we're being shown in this parable is that we need to delight and celebrate over the abundant grace of God. So I think that's really hard for us today, especially as as people who are addicted to our phones, who, who stare at Instagram all the time, like, it is so easy for us to constantly making this, this comparison game, right? And, like, that's kind of the name of the game on Instagram, is, like, you're supposed to make yourself look as, like, attractive and put together and, and pretty as possible. And so when other people see that, it's like, man, like, God must really love those people. Like, everything's just working out for them. And it just makes us resentful. It makes us talk like these 
first in this parable. Like, God, why would you give them that? Why would you be that generous to them, right? Well, when we see God's grace abound, I think what Jesus is telling us here, when we see God's grace abounding in other people's lives, we need to be careful that we don't turn in on ourselves because we don't know the full story. We don't know the rationale of God's love and power. Rather, we need to marvel at his justice. We need to marvel at his grace in the lives of other people. Even the last, even the latecomers, even the outcasts, they can be full recipients of God's abundant grace and love. So God invites us to work alongside him. God recruits the last, and God is extremely generous beyond all human reason. So I'm curious, where do you see yourself in this parable? Where do you see yourself? Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you're the one who actually like kickstarted the entire parable itself. You know, maybe you're hoping that, that the sacrifices that you've made in this life, the decisions that you've made, the actions that you made have somehow been scoring more points uh, in Jesus. Maybe you've been thinking that you're getting more like jewels in your heavenly crown. Well, maybe your prayer life has actually included a lot of statements where you've been asking Jesus, hey, when do I get to cash out on this stuff? Well, friends, as N.T. Wright says, God doesn't make contracts with us as if we could bargain or negotiate for a, a better deal. Instead, God makes covenants in which he promises us everything and he also expects everything in return. So I think the word that we're supposed to receive from Jesus from this parable is to enjoy the vineyard living. Like enjoy being in that abundant, life-giving, celebratory environment of God's abundant kingdom. But maybe if, as you hear this parable, you think of yourself possibly as even a latecomer. Maybe you, you feel as if all of your life, people have been skipping over you. Maybe you're one of those kids like me who is like picked last to play basketball and stuff like that. And it sort of feels like when it comes to spiritual living or, or experiencing God's grace that you're being picked last. Well, friends, God has not forgotten you. In fact, I think the hope, the grace, the, the excitement that we get to see from here is that God, in fact, has a place for you. He has purpose for you, regardless of, of whatever circumstance or whatever limp you think you're walking with. God has a place for you. And if you're curious about what that is, I'd love to meet with you sometime. I'd love to, to maybe pray together with you and, and, and sort of like bend our imaginations to see what is it that God has for you in this world. And I love stories like today's. I love this parable because it's evidence of the heart of God, that his grace abounds and that he always has a home for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, checking our attitudes when they need to be checked in, in a very um, gentle and encouraging sort of way. Lord, please forgive us for those moments in life in which we think that you somehow owe us something because of uh, a circumstance or a sacrifice that we've made. Lord, please forgive us for that. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would just be joyful participants in the calling that you've placed upon us. Lord, may we enjoy the, the, the work and the fruit of the vineyard itself. Give us imaginations to see what that might look like in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.